Life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. That is a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello. Welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 67. The topic of this week's episode is Second Chances. My guest this week is Valerie Dorsey. Valerie is an entrepreneur and the managing partner of Dorsey and Gates PLLC, a woman-owned law firm. After spending nearly 12 years litigating in state and federal courts, she began a second career as a professional coach. She is the CEO of Valerie Dorsey Incorporated, which provides coaching services to individuals, groups, and businesses across the nation. Val is also the host of a podcast titled When We Get Out. In her podcast, she's tackles serious topics surrounding prison reentry and sheds light to key reentry issues she has witnessed both while practicing law and through personal relationships with loved ones and friends. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, this is kind of different than my normal shows because most of my normal shows are people that I interview, of course, from all around the world. And you are one of those people, but we have actually met in person. We actually met at uh, Podcast Movement this year and we connected. We had some things um, going on similar and um, we decided to hook up and do this. And you have such a fabulous story that um, I wanted to bring you on the show. You own your own law firm, you're a litigator, you're a personal coach, and then you have a project that you have that's very near and dear to you. And we're going to get into all of that. But why don't you tell me about how you became to be the Valerie that you are today? So let me just start with why I chose to become a lawyer. I think that's going to lead into the other things. When I was in high school, I got a chance to work in a program that's called Diversified Co-op. And as a senior, you're able to, I think it was juniors too, we were able to go to school for a certain amount of hours in the day. And then the remaining part of the day, we were actually placed in physical working environments. And so my Diversified Co-op job was to work as, I guess you could say, an intern in a law firm. And this intern was, this law firm was actually owned by a friend of mine. Her father was an attorney. And I basically asked him if I could come to his office and do my co-op hours. And he agreed. And so that was my first interaction with the practice of law. 
I was able to see how law firms worked. I was able to see what attorneys did for a living. And I was able to get just the inner workings of what it takes to be a lawyer. And that was my first inspiration professional-wise to become an attorney. Now, in my personal life, I've always wanted to serve people. And so becoming a lawyer was my way to help people with things that they could not do themselves. And that was my inspiration. I wanted to be a person who was in a position to assist people with their issues that they couldn't solve on their own. And later on in my career, I realized that that desire to help people was actually more than helping people do things that they can't do. I wanted to help people help themselves because I, I, more and more just my interactions with people, I started seeing that there are a lot of people who want to do things that they are fully incapable of, of being able to do, but they can't do it by themselves. So then I added professional coaching to my career to be able to help people understand and realize that they are capable of doing whatever it is they want to do in life, whether it's personal or professional. And of course, um, aside from my law practice and aside from my coaching, I'm also about to launch a podcast, which was motivated both by my professional and my personal life. And do you want me to go into the details of the podcast right now? Um, let's let's get to uh, that a little bit later because I have a couple questions for you right now. Okay. So, okay, so you're in school, you got to get your first taste of law. But tell me, um, was there a story as far as your childhood that brought you to this place because was law something you always wanted to do or was it the fact that you were in this program and it gave you an opportunity and you said you had a friend whose father um, was an attorney that actually got you in, into the door, which actually made you see that that was a path you wanted to pursue. What what was it before that point? What, did you always want to be an attorney? Let me just say from early on, I always felt like I would be an attorney. That was one of the things that I said I would do was be an attorney. And this encounter with this particular attorney was not a friend that I met in high school. This was someone who I had known for some time. So I had always been around their family and I've always gotten to see um, him as an attorney. But as far as actually being physically involved in the practice, that came later on in high school. Now, the interesting thing about my path to becoming an attorney, when I went to college, I didn't enroll in anything that had anything to do with law. I went to college and I signed up to get a degree in computer engineering technology. (laughs) And that is what I studied for three and a half years. And then I added a double major in international business. But the entire time I was in college and while I was taking engineering courses, I always felt like that wasn't the career path. And law just kept coming up, coming up and coming up. And finally, I decided, I said, I'm going to just start really, really just researching going to law school. And that's what I did. 
And I actually visited a couple of law schools and I decided that despite the fact that I had gone to school for a technology-based degree, that I was going to go to law school. And so my, my college training was not in political science or pre-law or any of the normal degrees that you would expect a person entering law school to have. Okay, see, now I love that part of your story because I went to college, I have my bachelor's in computer science, and I have an MBA in international business. So that's funny, we have that that thing in common. But I love what you said as far as you pursued one path, but then you knew in your heart that there was something different that was calling you. And I like to touch on that. And that's, I, I like going down that path because many people miss out or many people um, ignore that small voice that says, you know, um, you were meant to do something different. And, and, you know, I was one of those people as well. You know, many years, you know, you work in, an industry because you were told that that's a good job or this is where your path should be and this is where you're going to make the money. But a lot of times your your instincts are telling you differently. And that's something that what I'm hearing is what happened to you. Your instincts were saying the technology space was not where you were supposed to be. That's exactly correct because I went through several years of college doing things that were not fulfilling to me. I could tell by being in those courses that that was just not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And the reason is, is because I've always wanted to be in a career where I'm able to have that personal connection and interactions with people. And I didn't feel that I was going to get that from getting well, getting a job in engineering or in technology. But with law, I'm able now to have that interaction that I want and to be able to provide that personal service that I've always wanted to give to people. And so that's just that's just a difference. I mean, we all know what our desires are. We all can hear those voices, but it's being able to hear those voices and act on it. And that's what I did. And that's why I decided to go to law school. Mm, I love that. Now, go ahead and tell me about your podcast and tell me about the things that you are doing um, in your law firm that add to that fulfillment. Okay, so the podcast is called When We Get Out. And it's going to be a prison reentry podcast where I'm discussing the issues involved with the reentry process. The unique thing about my podcast is it won't just be ex-offenders. It will be ex-offenders, their family members, mental health therapists, people who assist with drug and alcohol abuse, victims, people who assist with housing and finance and parenting. And what I'm trying to do with this with this podcast is just show individuals that reentry affects everybody because we hear about it so much from just the offender standpoint. 
of getting out of prison, trying to reintegrate, trying to get a job. We hear about it just from that standpoint, but we, we rarely hear the other people that are involved in that process. And it's something that I don't think is talked about in that way as much as it should be. And I want people to develop an awareness and just see that the reentry process affects us as a whole. It's a part of our culture. The U.S. Department of Justice has estimated that approximately 650,000 individuals are released from incarceration each year. And when those people are released, they're put out into the world with you and I. But a lot of us don't know that. We don't know the stories. We don't know the real workings of what it's like to reintegrate. Hmm. And the reason I decided to do this podcast, the first thing is that for a majority of my career, I did criminal defense for adult offenders. And so I've been involved in the criminal justice system, and I've seen what happens when people reenter, and I've also seen, seen issues with that. And also, as a part of my personal life, my companion is an ex-offender, so I've actually had to deal with that in a personal way by being in a relationship with someone who has that status and seeing everything that comes along with the reentry process from employment to finances down to family and parenting. I've seen firsthand what goes on with that. So being involved in it from a personal perspective, as well as being involved with that from a professional perspective, I think the show will provide valuable insight on every angle of what that reentry process is like. I think that is going to be a wonderful podcast and you're going to have to keep us updated on when it launches because until you and I spoke, you're right. We don't look at all the aspects of reentry. We do know that there are people who have been falsely accused, who spend time and may get out years later and then they have to adapt to society. We know that there's those who, you know, guilty or were convicted or whatever, and they get out and they actually have to, you know, get in and re, you know, re-enter society, whether they do good or bad or indifferent. And then there are the people on the outskirts or the outliers, so to say, that are affected as well. So their family, the victim's family, um, us as a society that have to interact with them. So you're right. There's so many different pieces to that puzzle. And I I think you're really taking on a good stance there because I don't think that many people look at it that way. Um, And, you know, you and I have talked before and I think that of course, not every person who is released is out to do good or want to do good with their life. But I do believe that those who have served their time and who want to reenter society and do well and move forward, I think that they should be given that chance to do so. Now with you, you know, you said that you, your companion is one of those who have reentered society. Was it 
that that made you want to take this path or were you um, passionate about this before that came into your life? I think I was passionate about it before, Mm -hmm. but I think that 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 particular circumstance added to the passion because I was actually doing criminal defense and going through that at the same time. And so it was just something that it was just no other choice for that personal situation to affect the way I felt about it professionally. And so I think both of those things actually made me want to do the podcast. Mm. Now, can you share with us some of the things that um, you and your companion have experienced that not the general public would know about or even thinks about? I know one of the things that I can think about, and um, this is something that a lot of people don't know, the simple things can sometimes be affected by the fact that you are an ex-offender. Every time we would travel out of the state, we would have to get permission. We would have to fill out forms. And keep in mind, my companion is not a violent offender at all. But just to make small steps, such as traveling, enjoying a weekend, crossing over state lines, presented a barrier just for our personal relationship. Because we couldn't just decide to do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to do that. We had to to make sure that that was in accordance with what he was allowed to do. Mm. And I think those are the small things that people don't know about. Mm. Yeah, you're you're right cuz I'm I'm thinking like I said personally myself that's something that I've never thought of and maybe because I've never had anyone close to me, friend, family or whatever that has been in that situation so I guess I've never had to think about it which many people are like me. They never had to think about it so they don't know all the many layers that are involved with that. And just and just with you saying, um, giving that example of the challenges that you guys have to um, go and how and you being a, a an attorney, how long does one person and I'm not saying specifically your 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 partner, but anyone is that something that they have to do for a lifetime? This checking in, or is it for a certain period of time? How does that work? Well, I would say that it would depend on the conditions of that person's release because some people don't have that condition depending on the terms of their release, and some people do. It depends on where you are with that process. But I can tell you that normally um, I would say that that could be a condition that could be imposed on someone for one to five years. It just it just really depends or it may not be a condition at all. OK, so it, it just depends on the person, the 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 crime, the the judge, whatever the sentences, sentencing that went on and the conditions of their release. Because as because, you know, you're saying that your partner was nonviolent. So that kind of makes me think, well, you know, why would you have to check in? to, you know, do, you know, 
go on vacation and I understand the, the point of the crossing the state lines and things like that. I understand that. But it, there's a lot. And, and I guess with you having firsthand knowledge of being an attorney, you understand things that, of course, that I wouldn't. But again, those are things that with your podcast, you're going to bring light to because most people don't understand that. Most people don't know all the things that go on. And I think that is really bringing your podcast will bring a great education to society as a whole. Um, Now, with your podcast, are you planning on interviewing offenders and families of offenders who have um, committed violent acts of crime? I do. Okay. Okay. And I guess for that, I would wonder how, how do you plan on going about that? How do you plan on um, handling that? Because that's a delicate situation on both ends. Here's, here's what I really want to accomplish by having episodes where we do discuss violent offenders. Our system is set up for individuals to be brought to justice, receive a sentence and a conviction. And once that sentence has expired, they're supposed to be able to go out and reintegrate. And I do think it's important, and I know it's going to be sensitive to talk to people who have spent 20 years in prison for manslaughter and they've served their time, but you're never really out of that situation. Just because you've served your time, you still have issues that you deal with outside of that crime. I mean, you've done your time, but you still have to reintegrate. And it typically follows you for the rest of your life. And it typically affects your reentry process. Let me give you an example of that. Um, There is a, a female that I plan to interview she and I have discussed it, and um, she committed a manslaughter when she was in her 20s, and it was based on some serious circumstances. Her sentence was not long at all due to mitigation. It was a result of domestic abuse. When she and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that that crime was committed 25 years ago and still today. She goes certain places and people labels her as the woman who killed that guy. So I just think that people need to see that people that have gone through that process and who have done their time and who's actually gotten out. Because this lady that I'm referencing is a productive citizen. She works. She's not been in any trouble. She's not. She's just living a law abiding life but she is still haunted by the fact that she created a violent crime. And I think that's something that people just don't understand and they just don't see that even when you get out and you successfully reintegrate, you're still dealing with the fact that you were actually in prison in the first place. Hmm. So what can we do as a society to help people like that lady who you know, she was defending herself. So she did some time, she got out. And now she's basically, she's got the scarlet letter on her chest where, you know, she 
is out in public and people point fingers and they look at her because they only thing they're seeing is, oh, she killed X, Y, Z. But they don't know that X, Y, Z was abusing her for years. So and, and I can imagine that her life, you know, she's trying to go about her life and and do well and do the things and, you know, that any of us would do. But when you have that to contend with, that can make it kind of difficult. That doesn't make you actually want to go out and, you know, hang out at the restaurant and, and, and eat. You know, you can't, you know, do that peacefully. What can we do to help people like that who are judged by people who are not on a jury um, unjustly? And that's the reason why one of the things I'm tying into my show is mental health, because that situation in itself, you can see how a person can get out and they can have good intentions and they can do the things that they're supposed to do. But there are other things that could happen that could affect them mentally and that could create a barrier for them to be able to successfully reintegrate. Also, what we can do is we can try to create an awareness because the ex-offender cannot control the judgments of other people. But those of us who do have knowledge and who do have information to provide can create an awareness that will allow people to think differently, which is why I want to tell her story, because I want people to listen to it. And I think when they listen to it and they get the complete story and they get the circumstances and they see how the judgment has affected her over the last 20 years, I think when they see another person that's in that situation, that it'll make them think about casting that type of judgment themselves. So just talking about it and and bringing up that conversation and making people aware is something that we can do to help those ex-offenders. Wow. Well, I hope, you know, all goes well. It sounds, you know, fabulous. I'll definitely tune in because I think that's something that um, we all could use some education on. So I think that would be a great podcast. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. So I want to talk about your professional coaching. Tell me about that. Okay. In my professional coaching, um, I do predominantly business coaching, a little bit of life coaching, but I also have a division of my company that is dedicated to coaching for lawyers and law students that's in their third year of law school. And the reason I started coaching lawyers is because I've been around lawyers for 12 years I've been practicing 12 years and I've just seen it all from friends to colleagues. Lawyers have a lot of issues. And when I say that, I don't mean issues, but I mean that by nature, Mm -hmm. our career is one that is filled with adversity Mm -hmm. and lawyers have to be resilient. We have to have great time management skills. We have to be able to delegate, communicate, and there's just a breakdown and the amount of services that are provided to assist lawyers so that we are great lawyers doing great things. Mm -hmm. Also, when it comes to law students, I recognize that there was a gap. There is a gap between law school 
and law practice. And most bar associations offer like the bridge and the gap CLE where you're newly admitted lawyer and you have to go through these, the six hour credit before you actually start practicing or you do it sometime your first year of practicing. But who's there to be your partner during that transition? Because from law school to law practice is a totally different ballgame. And so that's one of the things that I really wanted to focus on is catching those newly admitted attorneys and partnering with them to make sure that they start off on the right foot. And not just new attorneys, because I've met a lot of attorneys that have practiced for firms. And then when they go out on their own, since they've only been lawyers for so long and not business people, they have no clue of what it takes to run and sustain and effective law practice. And of course, you also know lawyers suffer from burnout on a regular basis. And what I do is I provide coaching to help lawyers recognize when they're suffering from burnout, ways to prevent burnout. And if you've already gotten to that point, what are some of the ways that you can get yourself out of that situation so that you're able to effectively function and serve your clients. And so, like I said earlier, the coaching part of me is not necessarily telling people what they need to do or figuring out their problems, which is the lawyer part of me, but the coaching part is helping you set goals and helping you come up with strategies to make either your personal life or your professional life flow more easily. Now, I've had a couple experiences with attorneys and they weren't good. Um, Can you help the incompetent ones? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Because um, long story short, when I moved here to Texas, I hired an attorney and he ended up being a total nightmare. I hired him for which I thought was something simple was um, estate documents. I had recently divorced, moved Um, to Texas, had small children. So I wanted to get all my state documents that I had already had in place done by removing my ex-husband, you know, have them redone, Um, which, you know, he totally just screwed up. And I'm thinking, okay, it's it's already done by, I say a real attorney, because I had where I lived previously, I had an attorney who had a firm who did everything correctly and I was satisfied with he screwed that up. And before I knew it, at kind of simultaneously, I hired him to do my child support. And for two years, he strung me along, not doing anything. I mean, he had, he hadn't, he didn't inform me about court dates, which he ended up um, getting dismissed. And finally, I ended up having to hire another attorney. And when I went before the judge, the judge was like, what's been going on here? It's been two years. This this case has been dropping. I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy has screwed me, which he did because when my attorney calculated it, I missed like $30,000 in child support because he kept screwing me over. And his thing was, oh, I'm trying to contact your ex so we can come up with a deal. And I'm like, a deal? Every state has a child support law. There's no deal to accomplish. But that was his way of pushing me off, pushing me off. And then finally, when he figured out that I had a good attorney and my attorney was suing him for malpractice. He called himself trying to sue me. And 
I mean, just documents were screwed up where my kid's name or he did like a cut and paste from somebody else's document. Names were wrong. I took him to the bar, you know, to file a case and they dismissed it, said he did nothing wrong. What can you do about attorneys like that? Here's what I think about attorneys. And I think about not just attorneys, but people in professions as general, in general. That lack of efficiency comes from somewhere. Obviously, this person is competent because they have a bar license. And what we're always told as attorneys is your competence is your ability to do things that you know how to do. And if you don't know how to do, you're competent enough to find someone who does know how to do what you don't know how to do. That, that's what we do as attorneys. Because no attorney comes out of law school knowing how to do everything. It is, it is a skill that you develop over time. And even in your most seasoned times, you will run into issues that you've never had, which is why people call it the practice of law. Mm-hmm. But what I see with that could have been several issues. That attorney could have been pro- could have been having problems with procrastination, could have been suffering from burnout, could have also been suffering from time management. And so what I would do in my practice is try to help people identify those issues. Because if you're suffering from burnout, if you're suffering from time management, if you have a hundred clients and you're feeling like you're stretched thin, if you're in court every day of the week and you don't have time to be in your office, if you don't sit down and recognize what your issues are and develop a plan to pull yourself out of that, you will end up being in that situation that that attorney was in with you. Well, that so attorney, would, he he wasn't, he didn't have burnout. He sat at home. He worked, quote unquote, from home. And I wasn't the only person he had done this with. He had done this with several people. And then I later found out that he was like drinking and possibly doing drugs, whatever. But it's funny because my attorney that I in, ended up hiring in the end, um, when he saw that it was getting serious for him, all of a sudden he knew how to practice law. And she was like, oh, this is funny. You can draft up documents to sue my client for stuff that you didn't do. But when she hired you to do these things, you didn't do them. And let me say this as well. Maybe it wasn't burnout, but it it, it could have been some other things. But I personally have a belief that if you don't have your life together, that they can also roll into your professional life. So it probably wasn't necessarily just an attorney issue. There are a lot of attorneys who need life coaching as well. So it, 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 there's something there that I feel like could be helped with coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Maybe it's just bad habits that you need help getting rid of. Maybe you're procrastinating and that's your normal habit and you need tools and processes to help rid of that habit. Hmm. Well, my ask of you is to coach other attorneys that they don't turn out to be like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, he, he was a nightmare, like I said, for, you know, two, two and a half, three years I dealt with him and it was sheer misery and at the end of all, he comes back t- trying to sue me for $10,000. And I'm thinking, you screwed me over for like three years. Are you kidding me? Um, 
which was funny. But in the end, you know what? It's I end up giving him like 180 bucks and he took it like a crackhead and ran on. So um, that just shows you. <laughs> let me say this too. One of the things, and I, of course, I, I, I abide by the code of ethics from the International Coach Federation. And it's funny that you mentioned about the drinking and some bad habits that this person had, because often when we're coaching, we'll see that some of the issues that people have are not just issues that can be addressed by coaching. If a person presents themselves and you can tell that they may have some kind of drug problem or alcohol problem, or if they have some kind of mental issue, as a coach myself, I would refer that person out and encourage them to seek other professional treatments for issues that I cannot handle. Mm -hmm. So that's also a, a good benefit for a coach to be able to try to refer that person to get help for more serious issues. Well, I, I have faith in you that you can help because like I said, the him and the one or two other attorneys that I've had to deal with, I haven't had pleasant experiences with. And I know a lot of people um, that I know, you know, they have a disdain for attorneys. Um, and this one that I was just talking about is funny because after all of that was said and done, he actually had the nerve to try to friend me on Facebook. And I was going, really? <laughs> I was like, you are crazy. Um, so I have faith in you that you'll coach um, these attorneys that you're you're dealing with to hold themselves to a high standard of um, integrity and, and ethics that we won't have to deal with attorneys like that. And I, and I agree that you shouldn't have to deal with that. And like I said, I think one of the main issues, which is why I added the law students to it, is because when you start practicing, I think a lot of attorneys start off wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you're starting off not practicing the way that you should and not getting the help that you need early on, I do think that it's going to mature into being something that you habitually do in your practice because you're not starting off right. Hmm. I also think that's a really important part too. Okay. So we're going to go into the question portion of the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Who or what motivates you? My son. He motivates me. He, when I look at him and I think all parents are, are like this about their children, he just makes me want to do everything that I know I can do and things that I don't think I can do. I'm still willing to try because he provides just that much of inspiration for me. Mm. What demotivates you? What demotivates me? I think that sometimes that negative chitter chatter, if you allow it to, will demotivate you even when it shouldn't. And I think sometimes just being overcome by that fear that we should all ignore. I think sometimes I can get a little bit demotivated, but my goal is always to push those things aside and to make sure that I re-energize and and just not allow that to stop me from doing what I want to do. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? I think, and I'm going to relate this to um, my professional life. 
Also, one of the things that attorneys deal with is people not appreciating your hard work. I think every attorney has has actually been in a situation where you have worked very hard. And because that person was just generally unappreciative, they will badmouth you or not appreciate your work. But that actually now it motivates me because I know that I'm good at what I do. And I kind of take that negative energy and I use it to only strengthen the services that I'm providing to someone else. Okay. Because I have had situations where I've been really hurt by people who have said things that were not actually true about either your performance professionally or your business. Hmm. Hmm. What is your fear? My fear is that I don't actually live out my life's purpose because I feel, I do sincerely feel like every person, including me, was created with a gift and created with a purpose. And I feel like our mission, what should should be our mission in life is to make sure that by the time we die, that our story is what it should have been. And so I have a fear of getting to that final day and I have not lived out the purpose that God had for me. Hmm. Is there a time when you wished you had done something that you didn't? There have been times that I wish I had done something that I didn't. And um, it actually relates to the death of my father. So um, I remember at the time I was, I was pregnant and he was going through some illness. And the morning I got ready to go to my appointment, I was, I was at 39 weeks. And I remember talking to him and he was really sick. And I was thinking, well, I need to go to the doctor, but I really should go to Memphis and check on him. And I said, okay, I'll go to my appointment. And then once I go and I'm fine, I'll check on him. And that never happened because he literally died the same day I gave birth to my son. Mm. And so I always wonder if I had just said, okay, doc, I'll have to come to see you tomorrow. Would I have been able to intervene and possibly get him the medical treatment that he needed? Mm. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Yes, I have been a victim of always trying to save people. And over the last probably two years, I've realized that everybody doesn't want your help. Sometimes you will try to help people, but you end up putting yourselves in situations where you overextend you and people don't appreciate the things that you do for them. So I would say, the times that I wish I hadn't done things are things that I really probably should not have done to benefit other people when they didn't really want that help. Mm. What is your definition of success? My definition of success is not measured against anyone else or accomplishing anything over anyone else, but it's measured against what I'm doing now in relation to what I'm supposed to do. 
I always feel like I'm successful if I'm doing the things that are in line with my inner purpose, Mm. aligning my outer purpose with my inner purpose is what makes me successful. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm not in alignment, I don't think I'm I'm successful at anything. Mm. How do you recharge? How do I recharge? Um, the first thing I believe, and it's, it's so hard sometimes because in my job as an attorney, when you're serving people, you always feel like you're supposed to do something. There's always something to do, to do at the office. But I believe in relaxing, taking some time to just get that space and just be still and be quiet and do absolutely nothing but allow your brain to relax. And when you do that, then you're able to refocus and you're able to re-energize and you're able to readjust your intentions. So that's how I recharge. What are you awesome at? I think I'm awesome at connecting with people. I really do. I've always had a, a sense of connection with people. And I just think that that I'm awesome at making people feel comfortable and having a genuine connection to people. And that's pretty much it. What legacy do you want to leave? The legacy that I want to leave is one that has inspired people to reach their greatest potential. One of the things I focus on in my coaching is reaching that next best level that I feel like everyone has. And if I had to leave any legacy behind, I would want to be known as someone who was always willing to be there and to assist individuals to being the best person that they could be. Hmm. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. One of my favorite quotes is a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I just want to encourage everyone to not be overwhelmed by life, not be overwhelmed by your career, but wake up and realize every day that the day that you're breathing, this day that we're in right now is the first day of the rest of our lives. Take those steps every day. And if you commit to taking those steps every day, you'll see how quickly those steps turn into miles and you'll see that you've been on a beautiful journey of life just by taking each day to live and to add to your life. Mm, Wow. How can the listeners connect with you? The listeners can connect with me by visiting my website at www.valdorsey.com. And that is Val with two L's. I'm also on Instagram at at valdorsey.com. Also, Instagram at jurisdcoach.com, and that's for people that's interested in the attorney coaching. And for the podcast, it is www.whenwegetout.com. And also, we have an Instagram profile at whenwegetout. Okay. Well, Valerie, I thank you for your time and your um, insight and your wisdom that you've shared with us today and uh, good luck on your podcast. And we're going to um, stay tuned and wait for it to be released. 
Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Okay. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.